Hey, welcome back to the Isaac Jarnigan podcast. Today I talked to Aaron Jarnigan. He's the brand strategist at a marketing agency here in Iowa called Pixel Labs. He also happens to be my brother. Obviously, I took a lot of inspiration from him growing up and what he did growing up, and it's led me to do what I'm doing. So he's got a really cool piece in my story. And he's done some really cool stuff himself. So super, super productive conversation that we got out today. Um, let's get into it. I don't know if we were starting right away or if I'd at least got a chance to get a drink. <laughs> get a drink. I'm good. I'm good now. I'm set. Yeah. yeah. What was typical Monday look like for you here? Uh, it was not typical. Did not feel well today. Uh, so didn't do much work-wise. So it was a little bit of a weird Monday. But typical Monday, you know, you're kind of starting off, catching up. Um, you know, where projects are at, what, uh, what's on the agenda, the to-dos, circle up with the team and get rolling. It's typical Monday. Did a little bit of that. It was just virtual and through message rather than meeting. And you probably wanted to die. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was weird. Thankfully it was about, about two, three o'clock that I started really feeling better. Um, so I actually had a couple meetings toward the end of the day. So I was able to do those, which felt good. Um, I hate skipping that because then it moves stuff back. Um, so thankfully was able to do that and they were good, good stuff. So, right, right. Anything excited hap- happening around at the old, uh, the old labs? New Pixlabs still doing good. Um, got a hefty amount of website clients at the moment. So really diving in there, learn a few new things that are fun, um, troubleshooting. So I, I enjoy that. You know, what I like about websites is there's... Um, you know, marketing is pretty subjective as a whole. And so to kind of balance out the super subjective, you know, problems with what you think will do well or what you think makes sense, you know, with websites, um, you know, especially on the tech end, there's a right way to do something. So I like that. You know what I mean? Like there's a solution, you know, there is, you just got to figure it out. So find information, plug it in. Good to go. For sure. All right. Do you kind of head the website stuff or do you have other guys in house that, that help out with that? Yeah, man, that's a partnership. Uh, mostly Zach and I will we'll get help from other folks if we need it, but it's that's that's mostly who's there. Um, you know, between both of us, we get it done. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, talk, talk a lot about websites, and that's been you've been involved with websites even uh, kind of toward the end of your your role at the chamber. When did you get into like get into the website builders and stuff like that? Because that's kind of a more um, hands-on side, creative side of something that I haven't seen too much from you, like in your professional world. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I really started back when I started my internship. Um, you know, and maybe it's worth stepping back even a little bit more beyond that. So even though it wasn't websites, how I kind of got my start on the digital end was YouTube back in like, Ooh, 2013, 2012, kind of around that time frame. So while it wasn't websites, it was, you know, a digital presence, kind of a digital home base, if you will, for for the brand that I was working on. Um, so in terms of like thinking through what your audience, you know, has in mind or what your potential customers have in mind, potential viewers, that's when that kind of started, that lens started to be developed. Um, but then website didn't really start until about 2018. Um, I got my internship at the economic development, the chamber office, um, and they're running an initiative to promote our area. So our economic area, North, Northeast Iowa, Twitter, um, 
area population is about 250,000, but then workforce labor draw. So the amount of people that work in our area, you know, they may travel 10 minutes, they may travel an hour, but their work here is about 450,000. Um, and it was to kind of help increase that. That was what that website was all about. So that was WordPress. Um, and it was a builder, WP Bakery was the builder name. Um, so didn't get into as much of the, the, the back end in terms of like the tech, you know, like the hosting domain information, but, um, edited build websites. Um, my claim to fame with that website was, you know, they wanted to know, you know what I mean? Like you had the big vanity metrics, you had your big, you know, page views, you know, we looked at what, what information, but kind of my claim to fame, um, on that one was it was a cost of living calculator. So had that developed and that became a tool that companies could use when selling community. And then also um, a job board update system. So we wanted folks to, part of that website was a job board of local positions that were available at varying levels um, in companies. And so we developed and it, and it makes it sound so intricate and smart, but really it was just an email newsletter that folks could sign up for if they were looking for a job or interested in a job in the area um, you know, and then every week we'd send out which new ones were available, which companies put the most positions, you know, when it ranged, it was manufacturing, it was healthcare, um, you know, all that good stuff. And unfortunately we were doing really well, but then that went right into COVID. So some of that stuff stopped because, you know, people weren't moving as much. Um, it was a very interesting economic environment. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that's where the website stuff really got started. And then when I started with Pixel Labs, you know, got a, Got a chance to get more involved on on that end, see more of kind of the the really specific technical stuff, you know, when what a website breaks, like what does that actually mean? What actually gets fixed? What are the common breaks? Getting into the hosting, getting into the domain settings, um, which I find that stuff fascinating. I think that's fun. Um, but as far as websites, that's kind of the whole the whole story. Yeah, and I'm curious. Uh, back to the Cedar Valley uh, economic development job when that uh, opportunity came up. Is that part of your description or did you kind of say like, hey, I think I could head this and get going with this and problem solve? You know what I mean? Yeah. So that specific project, was that kind of part of the original idea for my position? Right. Did you did you um, did you kind of have to take a, a leap of faith to like kind of head that or you know what I mean? Yeah, so what, what originally kind of got me in the door there, it was kind of funny. I actually applied for, it was a full-time marketing position there, um, but I still wasn't going to graduate for maybe 10 months, you know, and they wanted somebody to start immediately. Um, so unfortunately, did not get that job, but what they liked about my experience was I um, had a video background doing the YouTube stuff, the editing stuff. Because um, they had paid for a ton of footage of various things for our area. Um, and wanted somebody who could put together videos, but then actually think through the delivery. You know, so it's one thing to make a video, make a nice video. Um, but second is how do you turn it into a story that's interesting and engaging? And then third is where do you put it so that folks can see it, enjoy it, and ultimately be moved by it um, to do something, which was the goal. We wanted them to do something. We wanted them to move. We wanted them to be excited about their community. So... That was really how I got to be in that gig. And then the website stuff was just kind of a, I'll give it a try. <laughs> so I don't have to pay somebody else to do it. I'll, I'll try it out. Um, ended up liking that. Um, you know, I just like kind of, I like at least knowing a little bit about everything. Um, that's something that's important to me, you know, beyond even the marketing thing. I just, so many people have no idea 
Um, and frankly, I think it leads to people getting ripped off. Um, and marketing companies have kind of done a bad job of of doing that. I think there's a lot of slimy ones out there. Um, so that was important to me is to get a sense of what goes on with everything so that I could at least be like, there's something questionable here. I don't like that. You know, we can just do it ourselves. So that was, I like to get involved in everything just to, to feel like I have experience. You know, same thing with cars, houses, other stuff. So yeah, yeah. We were just talking about my brakes and you were talking about like, honestly, I've been looking into cars. I probably have the capabilities to switch those now. I'm like, that's pretty cool because I myself have no interest in looking into that but i know a lot of shops out there will jip you for every single thing so it's good to have a base knowledge of that well and i think sometimes they can kind of smell it on you like if you walk in they're like oh i can give this person a ride um you know and you don't want to assume that that's everyone because it's not but i think just a little bit of knowledge about everything at least keeps you it keeps your head in a good spot you know especially when stuff sometimes can be can be pretty expensive so yeah, yeah man some of that stuff is just confidence, especially on the car end. Just confidence to get in there and break something. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, when when you talked about having YouTube on your resume, um, I, I guess I never really, you know, growing up with you, I never asked about, like, you know, your new positions. So I was never interested in, like, why'd you put YouTube on your resume and stuff like that? What did you put on your resume to show off that you had skills in YouTube? Um, I maybe heard that you put, the video you edited of me playing with my fidget spinner on one of your resumes was that that resume or is that something else no so i'd have to remember what that first resume said so the reason i did it was because it was different i wanted something that was a differentiator and i know that for my age at the time um that was unique you know there were there were people that were doing things for fun but in terms of like people had youtube videos they made videos in high school for fun and stuff but in terms of like somebody that was doing something, trying to grow, looking at metrics, trying to change and adapt and do better. Um, that was unique. And the reason why I showed that fidget spinner video was the the main content that I was making, I assumed, and I think I assumed correctly, nope, people would look at it and have no idea what was going on or that, like, it, that it was even impressive. You know, Call of Duty montages, like one, that's kind of already a specific audience. And then, you know, even, like I said, even somebody understanding what they're looking at um, is kind of a common deal. You know, I even show video producers now and they're like, they look like, I think that's cool. Like it, it was synced to the music. And I'm like, dog, that was 30 minutes long. And I spent 12 hours on it with all the effects and everything. Like, so that was why I chose that video. And that's why I chose to include that was, you know, everybody my age had the marketing classes or at least the ones that were applying for the jobs that I was going for, had the marketing classes, did well in school. You know, could talk about their experience, um, you know, were polished, but that was just a little bit of a differentiator for me. And that's what ultimately stood out in that. Not my first, uh, I did talk about it in the first internship, which then led to the second internship, which led to the job. So Yeah, the the, the waste management thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I have a waste reduction. Got that brain unlocked. Uh, I know. That was a good spot. That was, those people were looking out for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I try to remember as far back, obviously you influenced me ever messing with technology and anything creative ever because you were on your Xbox playing Call of Duty and making edits toward that. I try to think about when that started, but when did you start getting into that and how did you get into that? Cause that is such like a, from the outside, just such a weird niche. Yeah. Good question. You know, and it's one that I, I, 
I've tried to remember the specific answer because there was, you know, the time that I would play, just play Call of Duty, and then the time that I actually got into that whole culture community of, well, there's a bunch of nerds that like to videotape themselves playing and then edit it to music and use these really expensive machines and editing software to make it really sweet, you know, and some of these teams had tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of subscribers at the time. Now they have millions. Um... But probably playing, you know, would have been freshman, sophomore year of high school. Um, you know, so that would have been what, like 2010, 2011, you know, and then, you know, probably around that 2011 time frame was probably the time that I got into the editing portion of it, if my memory serves. Um, and then that one, I was really heavy in that. Mm. Up until probably the middle of my senior year, so a good two and a half three years, um, you know, of just constant stuff, constant meetings, get home at four, get off at 10, um, you know, and then, and then recycle. And then I think it was around the time of my senior year where it's like, you know, cause I was also juggling work, um, you know, with some of that stuff. So that kind of makes it hard to keep up with, but then thinking about college and school and afterwards, it just became, it was a tough deal. Um, I did do a couple of them in college, but my computer was getting old, couldn't keep up, um, especially with the type of stuff that we were doing. So that was kind of the end of it. Um, and then really hadn't dabbled much after that. Right. Right. But what was your, what was your pathway from playing to creating? Was it just like seeing a YouTube video or what? Yeah. Good question. So the big answer would be our cousin, Ben, um, you know, and he, and he's still doing creative stuff now. You know, he, and I'd have to remember how he got into it. We'd have to ask him, but, um, you know, we were just playing normally, having a good time, and somehow he got into this community, got onto these videos of people doing this trick shotting and sniping stuff. Um, maybe he had a buddy, we'd have to ask, but just talked about how cool it was that people wanted to do this. There was a whole team aspect to it. You know, there were video editors, there were graphic designers, there were players, all sorts of different talents that were really neat and, and, and on something so focused, you know, and you're meeting kids from the UK, you know, other parts of the country. My best friend for a long time was from Chicago. We actually met up in person. That was really neat. Um, you know, so that's how I got into it was he started talking about it. Um, and I, you know what, I had done some video production stuff related to club speech, but in terms of being proficient or anything. I wouldn't say I was that, but I think I maybe just had enough of an interest to look at some of that stuff with a game that I already enjoyed um, and be like, yo, this is kind of neat. Like, I could try this out. Um, I remember the first time that I learned how to sync to music and how sweet that was, and I probably watched that five, ten-second clip over and over for 30 minutes just being like, like, it syncs to the music. That is so awesome. Um, but those servers are back up again on Modern for 2 if you want to hop on. I actually just re-downloaded it last night for a couple of games. Um, ben texted me about that. But, yeah, that's how I got into it. I think for me, and this is what I love about the internet just in general, you know, I don't think that the internet replaces good in-person relationships, but the fact that you can meet people that have, like, the exact same micro-interest as you um, is pretty phenomenal. Like, in, in, and especially how you can find people from all over the world um, that was pretty special. And so, you know, it was awesome meeting Michael was his name. Uh, the buddy that I had from Chicago that I played with, he and I were, you know, every day for, I, I swear two years, you know, we still have contact information. We don't touch base as much. 
every once in a while we will. Um, but it's hard, you know, especially with that stuff when you're so young, you know, there's kind of that idea that, you know, you grow up, you grow out of it. Um, and it's kind of hard to keep in touch with some of those folks. Um, but that's how I got into it. And that's, that's why I kind of stuck with it, you know, and yeah, it was a pretty neat experience and, and definitely paved, I'd say the way to, you know, kind of the interests and in, in work that I'm doing today. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, that is just like, his like that's history book type stuff that was like the earliest of early like ways the like first people connected online uh was these i mean just thinking about phase clan being only of call of duty clan that had like 100k subscribers i mean that's just like history to me and it, it's not even that long ago really you know 10 years no and it goes by so fast what i what i would be curious about is to go back and look at like the level that influencers that they were, how did that compare to other folks? You know, because a lot of the media, um, in terms of just people that we would see or would know about, you know, would come from movies, from TV, from sports. But in terms of like people creating content, building their own audiences and becoming influencers and building their own teams kind of from scratch, you know, on YouTube, building their own channels. I'd be curious to see, you know, there were definitely other people that were big around then. Um Oh my gosh, I mean, PewDiePie goes back that far. Um, there's a bunch of people, like Jenna Marbles, I think was one that was kind of around that time. There were some big people, a lot of them aren't even active anymore. Um, but I'd just be curious to think about and almost do like a case study of influencers at that time. Because now it's like everybody wants to be like that. And in their own specific things, whether it's Call of Duty or not. I mean, it's 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 makeup, it's working on cars, it's working on houses, um, people building train sets, you know, and, and it's really interesting how that's just evolved um, as an industry. And I'd be curious who were kind of the founding people that really outside of movies, TV, um, you know, kind of built it themselves and, and attracted that audience on their own. I, I think that that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, the only reason I got into this stuff, which I, I talked about on that podcast um, in Des Moines, and they never even heard of Call of Duty trickshotting. And I'm like, what? Like, that's crazy to me. Because it was so prevalent in me and yours lives. But the only reason I got on a computer in the first place, because was, I was, you know, striving to be like you. And I wanted to be on the Xbox. But, hey, you were playing the Xbox. I had to find something else to do. So that got me into computer, computer editing, video gaming, all that stuff, just in my whole other ways. Um, and it's it's cool to see the same origins but we both took it in way different directions uh it's fun yeah well and that's that's why i think it's a great skill just just marketing content creating in general is it can fit within any you know profession whether you're a marketing agency a credit union a plumber i mean you have to have some sort of presence online so the little bit of information that you can understand know or have to help get your name out there is is only going to help you. It's never going to hurt you. Um, so I think that that's cool. And I think that it's neat that we kind of did similar stuff. Um, so I think that, that that just creates some cool opportunities um, for us to kind of talk and, and work things out and come up with ideas. I, I, I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we had the Xbox set up in the basement and you, you told me to come down because I, I needed to... We didn't have a screen recording software or you, uh, maybe you didn't have an Elgato, which was the, the device that you used to capture your screen. And I, I came down and used your iPod, put it in a tissue box, 
put it on top of a chair, lined it up perfectly with the TV so that you could record your gameplay using your iP or your iP iPod and not even an iPhone at that time. I mean, this is funny now. Now I just do control or command shift five and I can screen record. But at that time it was just such a different art that we didn't know how to do. I know it's it's not so mine I think is like Windows G to get my to get my recording, you know, like to record the last thirty seconds on my computer. It's we just take that so for granted now. Um so yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how that's evolved to just you know what what the quality of content was back then versus, you know, now and just the competition for it needs to be high quality. It needs to be engaging. You know, and back then there weren't some of the social media platforms that, you know, encourage really short form content. Um, you know, YouTube is still mostly long form, but they have the shorts now, but just what it takes to keep somebody's attention span. It was tough back then and it's a thousand times tougher now um, in terms of content. So, yeah, man, I don't think the iPod or uh, I think the other thing I would do is turn my laptop and use my webcam, turn my laptop around and do that. I don't think that's going to cut it anymore. I still have those. I'm pretty sure they're even on that YouTube channel. Um, so kind of funny. Me and me and my buddy on the last podcast, we were talking about creating with what you have, but I don't know if that'll cut it, even <laughs> even those strategies nowadays. Uh, it's been fun. You know, I do. It is interesting, though. I wouldn't call it a I wouldn't call it a movement or anything like that. But I do think it's fascinating. There definitely are. There is a need for you know unedited, authentic content. Um, you know, anymore it's it's you know polished is almost the expectation. But sometimes it takes it takes a super authentic, unedited, you know, almost a one take video sometimes to get that right message across. And if it's too polished, too pretty, you know, it almost seems fake or inauthentic. Um, so there's also that balance too. So I agree. Webcam probably wouldn't cut it. I think that was an iPod two. <laughs> uh, so that's a little old now. I, I had it early back then. It was pretty cool, but anymore, I don't think that that would quite do it. Yeah, no, there definitely is a place for long form content, which is fun because there's a lot more emotion that could be put in those. So if that were to be simply cut off, that'd be a little of a bummer, especially for the filmmakers out in the world. Um, obviously, I just watched Oppenheimer, which just mastered, you know, along like that's a whole that's a film, but it just mastered the idea of keeping someone's attention for three hours long. Um, and maybe besides the movie point, uh, I've been watching uh, documentaries on sports on Netflix um, and obviously short form clips of sports highlights are cool and draw people in and get views but it doesn't really connect me to the sport where these um, Netflix documentaries uh, uh, there's a golf one I forgot the name of it um, and then I'm watching a uh, tennis one called Breaking Point following around players, having, you know, them mic'd up, walking around, being in their hotel rooms before playing in these um, big events. And, like, I've never looked up golf or I've never looked up tennis, but after watching these longer-form content where I'm, like, invested for an hour straight, it connects me to the sport um, where these short mm -hmm. clips do not. Um... Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. So um, everybody's pushing for the short-form stuff. The short form content and it it's 
there should be a case study on this too. But in my mind, short form content is almost like window shopping. So, you know, you are able to put your content out there. Somebody gets kind of a peek of what's going on, you know, and then very quickly they decide, am I interested in more or am I not? Um, you know, and if they're interested in more, great. Um, but then you have to have something there to back it up. You know, if they get there and all it is is more of the same, no more depth, just, I don't know, quick clips, it's not going to connect. Um, so it is interesting, kind of that whole, but now we're seeing, you know, TikTok is, is allowing longer videos, you know, so all of a sudden you're watching something that's posed as kind of short form, but you're spending three plus minutes watching it. Um, you know, and, and Twitter now X is kind of doing the same thing, and they're even structuring their app where, you know, there's people posting hour-long videos on there, you know, and you're not expecting to spend an hour on, you know, X or Twitter whenever you open it. Um, but they're even crafting the way that they're doing the, you know, the design of the app. So, for example, on X, so say you want to watch an hour-long video or or say it's at least piqued your interest to keep doing it. When you um, when you click the video, it opens up a course, but then if you slide it away, it doesn't necessarily disappear. It goes in the corner and you still have the audio, you know, almost like a podcast. So now you're scrolling, looking at other things. Um, excuse me, but you're still getting your information from that original video that, excuse me again, my goodness, that you're watching. It's kind of like those TikToks that have the two pieces of content side by side. Um, like how far gone, how far gone are we that we need to have the thing that we're paying attention to? Plus somebody jumping around on Minecraft to keep our attention. Like, like kind of seriously, you know, <laughs> like that's what it takes to keep people, um, to keep people's attention these days is to not just give them one interesting thing. It's, you know, there's your interesting thought or idea or idea and here's your visual stimulant so that your, your brain's getting the whole package firing off on all cylinders so that you don't scroll away from the video. Um, so that's kind of funny. I like, you know, I like marketing and the message of marketing is you connect somebody that has something to somebody else that needs it and a lot of opportunities for trade. Like it's very basic. It's not a crazy, you know, overcomplicated idea, but I do think marketers sometimes ruin things <laughs> over time. I think that they, uh, that sometimes they can ruin stuff by, by doing goofy things. So yeah, it's, that stuff's fascinating. Um, you know, I think through time there'll be different studies and stuff that come out and talk about you know, there's going to be best practices and ways to engage. Um, I do think that'll be very interesting through time. Um, you know, but one thing that I will say on the social media front that is just um, amazing is just the access to information. Um, I remember a professor in college talked about accessing your second brain. Um, and so he meant it in, you know, in a positive way, and it totally can be. I mean, if you don't know something, going back to that car thing, there 100% is a YouTube video out there about more often than not, you know, 80% of the time, your specific deal, you know, so it's, you know, I need this exact car and it's this exact brake, but it's not this trim level, it's this trim level, so it's a little different. Um, you know, and usually the ones that have 10 or 15 views are the best ones. <laughs> you know, they're the ones that have the most relevant information, but, um, you know, there's a balance between being able to look up and find information versus what you know and, and can say offhand, but just the access of information that we have today. I, um, you know, that kind of goes back to what I said earlier about kind of knowing a little bit of everything. Um, so I think there's a balance of, of being well-versed in things so you can know and understand them, but then also having the tools so that you can go a little bit deeper and, and you know, what you don't know, being able to find out. Um, but I just think about anything, whether it's switching an outlet or troubleshooting of a furnace or why is my car not starting um you know just like there's sometimes you can figure that stuff out in five minutes 
if you're willing to take a look at it. So there's a lot of really cool blessings with the internet and opportunities, especially with marketing. But I do think there'll be some interesting research that comes out <laughs> about people that especially spend too much time not doing anything productive on there on, when they're scrolling. Right. That's the only aspect where I really feel almost outdated. Um, I, I'm probably the very end of growing up without technology plus with technology. Um, so some of those simple fixes that you're talking about, like starting up a car, I would not think to look it up right away, where someone a few years younger than me would immediately do that. And I'm just like, that's where I feel outdated, which is so weird because I'm only 20 years old. You would think I wouldn't have to complain about that or anything. But that's that's one area where I really do notice that. Yeah, I. it is interesting because I do think you have, you know, generations are what, 18-year gaps, they kind of say, makes up a generation 18 or 20. Um you know, and I think that that's true in the past, but it's almost like, you know, within our generations now, it's like there's micro generations almost. So, for example, I'm right in between millennials um, and Gen Z is that kind of the newer one. Um, I'm like, right. OK, I'm right in the middle of them. Um, you know, and they talk about the very the big differences between the two. Um, but I think you're right. Like, I think there's. You know, there's going to, I mean, there's people my age. So say I fall on this Gen Z thing, you know, and you're not far behind me where it's, there was time where there wasn't technology, you know, that readily accessible. I think also our parents did a good job of balancing it, you know, giving us access to it without, I just say going off the deep end or, um, or different things. But, but then there's also kids that are younger that would still be part of that Gen Z that it's, it's all they know, you know, they're, they're always in front of something. If they have a question or if they're looking up something, it's the first thought that they have is to take a look online. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of power there because it, it does make us more a little bit self-sufficient, a little more individualistic. Um, but I think my biggest thing, and I mentioned this earlier, is I'm still kind of a believer that online relationships don't replace in-person ones. So that's something I'll be curious about is... Um, you know, will we still be as good at developing in-person relationships? I think that humans are wired to, to need that, to want that. Um, you know, so how can you benefit from all these great tools without losing out on some of that, um, some of that experience? So, and I also learn by doing, you know, so watching a YouTube video and walking away isn't going to make me be able to do anything. It's watching the YouTube video, getting in there, messing a couple things up, watching a couple more videos, and then figuring it out. So... It's interesting. It's it's so fascinating. And I have to imagine for folks that are a little bit older than us who have seen more, you know, of the less handheld devices, you know, the invention of the Internet. Um, I have to imagine it's even more strange, just the change through time. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you talked about um, online relationships versus in-person relationships. Uh, I've had a little more experience meeting up with people that I know from the internet, because that was literally my personality trait, uh, middle school through high school was COVID years. I was connecting with people on the internet. That's all I wanted to do. Um, well, I mean, you didn't really have a choice. I mean, yeah. you knew people in person, but yeah. that was, yeah, I think there'll be studies on that too. That'll be interesting through time, how that by itself affected people. Right. So, so a lot of my relationships have been like, having these online relationships, but how can I semi-convert them to in-person relationships a little bit? Um, a lot of the people first off my head that I'd be interested to go and visit and have a good time with are people that I originally met on the internet, which is just like a really cool thing.
thing to think about. It's like there you talked about sharing uh, values with people online or sharing interests. Um, there's there's an intimacy there, which I've said a few times, but there really is just like you can really connect with someone online, but it's about balancing like is this ever going to turn into something that's going to be an in-person thing or is it always going to be this deep hole that you're just trying to fill that won't get filled? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, I, I think the, the biggest example of, of kind of what I mean with some of that is when we were doing virtual events, this was back with the economic development group. Um, you know, we'd have events that were 400 people. You know, when you're talking, you're engaging, it's an eight hour long deal, you're, you know, you're active on all your social fronts, you know, but then once five o'clock hits, it's end call and then it's nothing. You're alone in a room and there's no one there. And, and just as like a small example, that transition, and maybe this is just me, but I just sat there and it did not feel healthy. <laughs> like that those next five minutes after just getting off of like this super exhausting social event um it was insane you know like i think about if you went to an actual event you know you hear your speakers it's all the same thing you know you're not talking to your speakers as much there might be q a but you even have that in the you even have that in your your virtual events but you know once the event ends it's not just like you're poof back home it's you know you look over at the person next to you you know what'd you think and then all of a sudden it comes where you're from and so, you know, rather than going from this huge 400 person deal to zero, it's, you almost have like your, your, your curve back down to, okay, like, well, you know, I'm, I'm tired, but it'd be nice to connect with this person, this person have some, you know, some talks, be able to share my thoughts with somebody else, you know, and then ultimately kind of wind down and, and, and get to an ending point. Um, but going back to your wanting to meet those people in person, I, that's what I think is the biggest benefit of it is you find people that are like, whoa, you like the exact same super specific thing as me? <laughs> like, that's nuts. And I'm weird. You know, nobody at my school likes what I'm doing. And not that they hate it. It's just that that's not their thing. Um, but like the 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 feeling then, and I do think, you know, when I met my buddy um, in Chicago, like the feeling of sitting in the room with that person, you know, and, and Michael was asking questions about you. He knew details about you. We sat there and talked for four hours as if, this is what we did all the time anyway, because it's kind of what we did. But at that moment, you know, even though we shared a lot, you know, even I kind of been through a lot, not necessarily with the Call of Duty stuff, but just life. I mean, you're growing up, you're going through things, um, relationships come and go, you know, breakups and stuff. You're talking about it. It was that moment where it's like, and, you know, not that I ever believed he wasn't a real person, but it's like when you're in the same room physically as somebody else now sharing these conversations, that's in my mind, just where it truly gets set in stone. Um, and I think that that's super special. So I'm not against online relationships, but like, especially, you know, like when you get to a certain point with somebody, like, you know, like it's time just to go meet them, you know, like what do we got to do to, to, to hang out, to find time? Um, you know, and you've done that, which I think is really, really cool. And I think that a lot of people don't. Um, I think it's something that would be really good, especially when you're younger too. Yeah, it's funny we're talking about long rant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny we're talking about this right now because I just got a text, two texts. Uh, my friend Henry, uh, that I've talked to you about, a videographer, texted me Isaac, and then his friend Vlad, which is also my friend because I met them when I was up there, also texted me Isaac, and they're like, "What are you doing tomorrow? We're going cliff jumping. Want to come?" And I'm like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> 
like this is such a real thing i have three meetings tomorrow but if that wasn't a thing like that could be a very easy thing to do it's just it's just fun how they they they're you know they're high school friends and whatever but like they still include me this outsider that's only met them a few times but it's like no it's not like that it's 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 like a mm-hmm. whole friendship it's awesome and and i think those are the the best friendships you know it's it's not people you have to you have to talk to every day you know if you don't text them one day and they're wondering you know do you like them anymore i think those are bad um it's the people that it's like it's been a year you know but we're gonna be in the same spot and it's like you never missed a beat you know i think those are the best because you know you're busy you got meetings they're busy they have stuff they're doing if it works great if it doesn't that's so fine like we're looking forward to catching you next time um I just think that's the best. Yeah. And my niche, you know, photo, video, more like business building or whatever, we're all pretty busy doing our own stuff. So it's like, that's just pretty set in stone. We know that, but we're here if we need to be. Um, Last month, or maybe it's been two months now, within a four-week period, I had three people that I've talked to quite a bit online, but I've never met before, drive through Ames um, and met all three of them. It was just the coolest thing ever. Uh, and it, it's just like, wow, like we're here. It's crazy. Yeah, man, that's, that stuff special. Um, you know what? I, I think it's good to include, you know, being a safe spot, you know, if, if you, if, you know, obviously you get to a point where you can probably trust them, but <laughs> internet safe guy yeah, always a really good thing. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, man. To the outsider, this all sounds terrible. Like you're just meeting up with strangers. Like it's not like that, but, um, yeah, obviously those specific things for sure i don't know i i think it's going to be more normal i I forget the facts on you know how many people have have started you know dating relationships through dating apps um i just golf with a buddy over the weekend they they're married uh kid on the way and they met on hinge i believe um you know they were local so i mean it's not like they were states apart you know but that's how they met is they originally met online then met in person um yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. And then there was another one. It's actually a couple at our church. Um, she was from Chicago, and they met on uh, a Christian dating app, and and they ended up meeting in person. They're not married, and I believe their second kid's on the way. Um, so I think it's going to be a more and more normal thing. Um, and I think that'll also be an interesting deal to watch through time. Is is that something that's just going to get more and more prevalent? Is it going to top out at some point? Are people going to at some point demand more in person i have no idea because i do think the internet is making the world a smaller place so just like we're talking about how you can find people that it's like whoa you have the exact same interest as me um you know you're also not you're not limited to just who's around the corner down the street in your neighborhood it's i mean you have options (laughs) like you can you can be out there so i mean and that's true for for relationships for friends for business um you know, banks, even there's internet banks. I mean, you can go to ATMs that you can serve your bank, but you know, who knows where your money sits. It's just, it's so fascinating. And I think it's interesting to have a little bit of that perspective. Again, we're younger, um, but we do still have a little bit of that perspective of, you know, not necessarily having some of those tools, some of those connections, um, you know, to make that as easy as it is today. It's, it's pretty insane. I think COVID sped that up too. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, I, I dove really deep into, like, minimalizing my stuff, and sometimes it can get sketchy, like, are you sure you want all your internet or all your money to just be online? But currently, 
it basically is. Um, and my bank is is Discover, and they don't have locations, and it's just it's just kind of cool. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's a weird weird thing. Well, and they probably give you that good interest. That's what we always. Sometimes the local the institutions and interest right now they kind of are pretty good. Mostly at CDs. Um, we like when the we like this uh, the checking accounts with the high interest. That's what we like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't uh, mind. Just just give me the rates in some form that is makes it so I can withdraw it whenever. And I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of that. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, no, we our credit cards are through Discover, so they're pretty good. But no, it's it's fascinating, and I think that that whole I think virtual relationships, virtual connection, um, you know, I I just think that it's fascinating, and it'll be interesting, especially with the invention of AI. You know, I wonder, does that mean that we're going to be, is AI going to give us the freedom to connect more in person or virtually, or is AI going to substitute us in the virtual connection? You know, for example, you know, if somebody calls Discover's support line. You know, is our AI tools going to be used on like the documenting the call, taking notes, um, helping people, helping callers get connected to service representatives faster by asking better questions, um, being able to decipher better answers? Or is the caller never going to speak to a human and they're only going to speak to an AI, you know, so that a human then can do the work and not have to speak to somebody? I do wonder what that's going to look like on the front of relationships. Right. Yeah, no, I have no idea. Um, like, what are you talking in terms of relationships? Are you are you are you mixing in relation like lovey relationships? Or are you talking about a different type of relationship? No, I'm back to business. I'm business specific. I was about to say business specific. I'm trying to connect Discover with with loving relationships, and I'm failing right now. But no, business to person relationships. Not you know, if somebody was using AI to connect with trying to connect with significant others i man i hope that crashes and burns <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh customer service just the whole that whole world needs some work um i feel like i gotta call the main person and then i gotta say oh, i need someone more important than you even though i really don't i just know that they're not gonna be able to do what i need them to do and i'm not i'm not an outwardly like annoying or ignorant person but like when it comes to that i just like i know you're not gonna be able to give me the answer the next person will yes you can give me a refund thank you bye like i have to be so blunt and a little mean in that field where i wish i wouldn't have to be right right well when you hear the stories and and they're not that far i mean you've experienced them where you're on hold for 40 minutes or however long yeah um yeah yeah, that stuff's very interesting, you know, and especially on the small business front, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people share, you know, like, all it took for me to do well in my business was just to answer the phone. You know, like, people just don't answer the phone. You know, they're they're busy or, I don't know, I don't know what goes on if they don't answer, but you, why would you want to do business with somebody that doesn't answer the phone if they're, if they're available? Right. And, and even for me, just getting immediately sent to a call center is a negative feeling in me. Like, like press one, press two, press three, press four. You just feel like a, like a little piece of a puzzle where you just want to feel like a person. Like when I call and it's just instantly a human and they know exactly where I need to be. Like that's hard to replace. The feeling that that gives you is a great feeling. Yeah. And, and, and kind of the, 
what I've heard about that, that's kind of just a good mental exercise, is pretend you're standing, say you're at like a career fair or a expo or some sort of event where you're standing across the table from someone, you know, test out your process with talking to that person across the table. So when they walk up, you know, and they ask you a question and all of a sudden you just start saying, if you have a question about this, hit one on the table. Or if you have a question about this, press number two on the table. Like you would never do that, right? Like you wouldn't do that on a, you know, going back to the, you wouldn't do that on a first date. Not that you would, but just to give your, you know, kind of run through a mental exercise. Like you would never do that. So how can you at every touch point with your business create an experience that feels like, you know, somebody's across the table from you and you're there to listen and help them find their, find what they need. So, you know, and that goes for phone calls, you know, social media, if you can manage it. I know that sometimes it's hard to moderate those DMs, but I mean, that's important. Um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see that through time because I think businesses are losing that a little bit. Um, you know, we've never had access to as many people as we've had before through social media. Um, you know, but with that ability, it means that, you know, you're putting yourself out there for more, for more questions, for more engagement, and you kind of got to be ready to, to play that game. Um, you know, or else you're going to feel, you're going to make people feel not heard, especially if there's something they're concerned about. Um, so that is another interesting aspect of relationships, especially on the business front. Yeah. Uh, do you, at your agency, do you guys use like a all in one, like, compiler that funnels like your Facebook messages and texts and emails into one thing. Uh, do you guys do that? No, we don't have them all into one. Um, but there are a lot of good tools to do that. We use Google, Google phone. So like when one of our numbers gets called, everybody gets called and then we can see an answer and, and all that good stuff. But no, on the, excuse me, on the messenger front. No, we don't, but I'd recommend it. I mean, I'd have to look up the best tools for you. Um, but I know that there's, you know, what some of our clients use and have installed is um, chat features on their website so that their service representatives can answer questions. And you can plug it into your Facebook, your Instagram, your other social media platforms. But then also uh, there's a little chat widget on your website so folks can just ask direct questions. And regardless of where they enter that question in from, you know, again, your website, social medias, they can be right there to answer it all from that from that application. But there's also other tools that they integrate that with text messages, phone calls, you know, and then you can leave notes. So if, you know, if somebody called yesterday, they, you know, and now they're calling today, the person answering today's call can see, oh, okay, what happened yesterday? Oh, okay, perfect. You know, I see that note on there and I can help you move, move farther along. So yeah, there's great tools. We don't currently have something like that, but we also we don't get a lot of, a lot of random stuff like that. So we're able to keep on top of that. Um, we're able to keep on top of that pretty well. And it's kind of, it's kind of cool on my perspective where I'm running into that, that wall of innovation. It's like, Hey, I'm pushing myself to find these walls of innovation and what's wrong. Like if I was a cool, well, I, I don't desire to do this, but it's just cool being in situations where you could be like, Hey, I could pursue this idea and it probably would work. Not that I want to, but it's it's cool running in with that. Main things being those all-in-one uh, funneling messages. There's things out there, but it, it, they're kind of scuffy. Um, and same with uh, posting clips on social media. You know, when I'm posting post-wise, I probably post four to eight times a day across the different platforms. It's just like there's no great way of doing that either. So it's like 
hopefully there's innovation there, but I could also see where social media platforms are going to be hesitant to letting those things go through just because of like AI generated content, stuff like that. Yeah, it's, and this is where I kind of talk about like marketers ruining stuff again, you know, is, is to make it easy. We want to post everywhere, you know? And so, so social media platforms, they recognize like, oh, they just posted here, you know, and they posted the same exact thing over there, you know? So in our minds, like, do they care about our platform? I mean, you could kind of say maybe not, you know, so they're not going to reward you. Um, but no, that's another thing we run into is, you know, even when you're doing it intentionally, you know, where, you know, this type of content goes out on TikTok, this type of content goes out on Instagram, Facebook, you know, et cetera, and you're doing the right things. But if you don't post them natively, they're still going to ding you. Um, and it's not all of them. I think Facebook and Instagram generally play pretty well. TikTok is kind of touchy. Um, and then YouTube on the shorts front is also kind of touchy um, about some of that. So you, you kind of got to be careful. But we've we've I mean tried so many different things at different price points and it's almost like there's always something like for example one of them you couldn't post um the carousel on Instagram for whatever reason I don't know you could post like everything else multiple pictures on Facebook and maybe it's fixed now this is a couple of years ago but that's what you couldn't do then you know and then the one that we've used more recently um if you post a YouTube short on it YouTube's like, you're going to get one view. That's it. And it's it's like, it it's just interesting. But then the tool, you know, you ask them about it and they claim like, oh, no, there's nothing there. Like, it's you didn't put the right text or you didn't put the right thumbnail. And it's like, no, <laughs> whatever. So it is very interesting, you know, and it, and it does kind of get, it does kind of show the importance of being intentional. Um, you know, the platforms that you're working on, it's it's fascinating. I do, I, I wonder how many more platforms there can be. You know, they just keep coming out with new ones. Um, you know, that of all different audiences. So it is a good, you know, it's a good check just to be, to kind of always be in touch of, okay, where are our folks spending their time and making sure we're spending our time in the right places so we're getting the most ROI um, on our content. So, because it's ever expanding the list of social media platforms. It's very fascinating. Yeah, It's hard to be, it's hard to be intentional specifically on specific platforms just because that's, that takes so much time and you're putting a lot into this platform that could be gone by next year, not gone, but just less prevalent. So, I mean, what my current mindset is like, I post the same clips everywhere just because that's a very sustainable thing to do. Not very intentional, but it is sustainable and I can do that often. And one month, the views might be good on this platform. All I really say is, oh, cool, that'll probably change next month. You know what I mean? It's like hard to to care about these platforms when they do come and go and they do knock your views like even if i'm intentional on tiktok make great videos that's not a guarantee that they're going to do well um which can be hard right right when you make a good point you know a really really good strategy is to leverage those platforms that you're good at that you get good engagement with and how do you connect with those folks off you know you have a discord you know you you know about some of those other things or even just an email list like i cannot stress how nice an email list is because Facebook can blow up, Discord can burn down, you know, but you got your emails so you can get in touch with people. Um, we just had a client that um, they just figured out that through their waiver list, they actually have had about 14,000 people opt in to receive emails from them. 
like what a gold mine discovery from them, you know, that they're going to be able to, and then, and it's not just bombard them with emails, you know, there's a way to be smart about it, but you know, as far as like just opportunities go, what a gold mine. Cause you know, their Facebook could blow up their Instagram could get hacked or locked or whatever, but they still, you know, it wouldn't just totally stop them in terms of promotion, you know, and that's relatively cheap sending out emails. Um, yeah, so you make a very good point there. That's it is about leveraging your tools, and then and getting up somewhere else so that if that you know opportunity goes down, you're not going to go down with it. Yeah, it's just there's pros for both sides, pro, but it's kind of tough. Mm, even apps. I know that there's um, a conversation I had on our podcast recently was with a boutique business that does um, live sales, you know, so they'll go on Facebook Live and do different things and sell clothes, you know, right there. But they recently uh, developed an app, and so they do it all through that now. So that's, you know, even better. If Facebook goes down, and that's been a good source of revenue for them is those Facebook Lives, it doesn't just stop them completely. They have a tool that's in-house that they own that they can then use and leverage. They also have emails as well and text. That's another one that people forget about. Um but text has the best open rates of them all. So there's lots of good strategies and things to consider yeah. with that. But that's what's tough about marketing, I think, for a lot of people too, is they you know, they probably know about these things, they've heard about these things, but it's easy to forget about some of these tools and it's even easier not to do them, you know, because you're busy, you're thinking about this, you know, you're you're working on ordering, you're having a staffing issue, there's never enough time. Um, you know, so navigating all that is tough. You know, even for marketing companies. Um, you know, the good ones are just always trying to keep up, uh, you know, and there's some marketing companies that they just decide they're going to sell this and that's all they sell forever and ever and ever and until it burns out. Um, but even for marketing companies that do well, it's, it can be a challenge to keep up on some of that stuff. Um, so, so that stuff's very fascinating. Yeah. It's funny as I'm, uh, going through and providing photo, video, social media, uh, services to clients. Um, immediately when I think about making content for myself, it's like, it's not really improving you because it's, it's just something totally out of the way. And it's like, well, that's kind of a weird mindset. Like I know you don't see like direct results right away or whatever, but it's like something you need to be doing. I mean, you, you're marketing, you need to market yourself too, even though it seems like it's like a, it's a, it's a weird brain thing at first. Yeah, it is. A lot of people are uncomfortable. So that's another hurdle to, to get over when starting some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, curious. I mean, good for them if they have the, the background in that, but I'm, I'm assuming the, the, the ladies you did the podcast with don't have coding experience. Did they use a service to have it developed in an easy way or did they go to a, a developing company and have it custom for them? Uh, if I had to guess, I would not think the custom route. I believe it would have been a service. Yeah, I'm in the dark on that. Do you know? Do you know anything about um, kind of like simple app development builds like that? Um, I know there's tools. I, I do, that's an area I don't know as much about. Um, but I know there's tools, and I think there's even tools now that use AI. Um, so it's like no code app development. You know, so you're able to communicate using normal language, you know, spoken English or I'm sure different languages. Um, and I'm just trying to look here and double check. 
but that you can actually put some stuff together without um, without coding or learning how to or paying somebody a, a bunch of bunch of money to do it because that's expensive. Custom development's expensive. Yeah, it's it's funny how that works. Like, still to this day, if I see someone or their company and they have an app, it's still a wow factor for me. It's like, whoa, they got their own app when really it's not that much different from you know just developing your own website obviously people getting their own websites a little more saturated of a space but i feel like people getting their own apps is still kind of an unsaturated scene in my in my head right <laughs> didn't figure that people would want to hear that <laughs> and i think that was what kind of made me not feel well today is allergies yeah the killer man Oh, here's another one. A chiller. I'm filling in with a with the sound that isn't quite as uh, ear rapey. Well, and the the mic is close to my mouth as it is. It I'm sure it would blow out some headphones. Yeah. But yeah, man, that's interesting. You know, that's an area I've not. In terms of just areas I'm interested in, um, is app and program development, you know, and maybe program is the wrong word, but, um, you know, software as a service companies, I think are fascinating, um, with the tools that they're able to develop and build, you know, from code from scratch, kind of like a website, but far more, far more advanced, um, with the things that they pull in, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about that claim to fame deal with my first job and it was that cost of living calculator. Um, but even though that was a website, you know, it a little bit behaved like an app. You know, you're able to select, um, be able to select the city. You're able to input your salary. It's it's very visually beautiful. Um, you know, and it spits out this whole page of results. You know, it's a lot of. Uh, we spent some time in the code because we we migrated the website to a new platform, so we had to migrate the code over. You know, but to be able to see, you know, a lot of if statements, you know, and different things there of, you know, if they click this, if they stuck that, if they input this salary, if they're looking at this thing, pull this information, if they're not, pull this, um, you know, if, if the cost of building's better in the Cedar Valley, display this result. If it's not better in the Cedar Valley, regardless of what they put in as information, display this result with this information. Um, that was fascinating. So that's been fun to learn that on the website front. Um, but would be very interested to learn that as far as app development or, or program development. Um, so figuring out the best way to do that. Yeah, you sent me a you sent me a text uh, about kind of dipping into CSS a little bit. What does that actually like look like hands on? Just like looking up videos about it, or actually troubleshooting something, or what? Yeah, so CSS, um, and I'm probably using all the wrong words and different things. I'm very plain. I try to be very plain when I speak about things, just so it's easy to understand, because that's how I understand it, <laughs> without the the jargon and the, the technical wording. Um, you know, but it's a language that you can use to stylize elements on a website, you know. So there's there's these things called selectors, and it's the very specific elements of the website. So, for example, it's it could be it could be the image, it could be a single piece of text, it could be a button. Um, and so say for whatever reason, your website is limited in its ability to edit different things. You can pull those selectors into, um, a CSS block. And then ultimately, um, that was what I'm looking for. 
you can edit them. You can design them and, and do different things. You know, and there's some there's some crazy advanced websites that, you know, they do all sorts of different animations based on your scrolling, um, based on what you click on. Um, you know, there's some where it looks like there's water kind of moving across the screen or it follows your mouse. I mean, that's all all typically done through that. Um and again, I'm probably butchering a lot of it, but a lot of it's just, you know, playing around different tools. Um, a lot of time on YouTube, a lot of time on the internet, um, you know, and, and one thing that's super, super handy is Google. And I think even the, the browser that you were using, you can inspect different elements and you can actually, if you have a hard time finding, because I think sometimes the tricky part is finding the selector. So of all the elements on a page, you know, in the thousands of lines of code, you have to be able to actually pull out that specific, like I need to change I need to change, I want to change the drop shadow on a button, um, you know, and when you have your, your content, it's usually housed within sections or columns, which are housed under larger sections. So sometimes those things can be a few rows deep. So finding that specific selector, Google helps make that really easy in their inspect section, um, where if you find the right thing, you can just copy, you, you right click and click copy selector, and then you're able to, to manipulate it. That was what I was looking for earlier, manipulate. Um, and so it makes it kind of fascinating, but that as far as coding languages go, I think is on the pretty rookie end <laughs> of it. Um, but it is fascinating um, just being able to do that with with text, um, you know, I think is interesting. And actually something that's super interesting, which Ryan and I talked about um, a little bit on our pad podcast. I didn't I didn't get to watch the full one on yours, so maybe you did as well, um, but was AI... Um, AI inputs being kind of a coding language, like knowing how to best provide text inputs, um, spoken inputs to AI to get the result that you want. You know, I've seen some of those, some of the AI tools that create art, you know, and, and the paragraphs of information that somebody would submit to get that specific look or that specific element of realism, you know, with these different things or explaining the scene um, or putting together that information. I mean, that by itself is kind of an art, um, you know, so I know that there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of debate, especially on the art front with copyright and different things, but um, he expects it. And I, and I, I do think too, that there's going to be an element of programming that does involve learning how to best communicate with AI to get, to get the inputs that you want. Cause at least for the time being, you know, AI only operates based on inputs that you give it. Um, it can't give itself inputs. You know, it's a singularity. And at that point, you know, that may or may not be the end. <laughs> but um, no, it was a joke. But anyways, uh, I do think it's fascinating and I think it's interesting. Um, and I'll be curious to see how that develops. You know, like the idea that would a college offer a, a certificate in being able to give AI inputs is kind of fascinating. Um you know, especially since, you know, an AI has been around for several years now, but in terms of just really exploding, that's what's happened in the last few years or so. Um, but it's very, very interesting. And it's it's definitely taken hold of a lot of places and a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, Toggle with Ryan was cool just because uh, he can sound, you know, he can sound as confusing as he wants, but if you really listen to him, and break it down it's very simple what he's enacting is day to day um so it's like yeah it sounds confusing at first but if you listen and it's not as of right now it's not rocket science which is cool unless you get into the 
don't know if he talked to you about uh, using AI to program a website through Excel sheets. Did he talk to you about that? No, did he, did he talk about that on your podcast? <laughs> yes, you have to listen to that. Um, so cool. Oh, well, that's that's interesting. Yeah, you can. You is can it based on like you're you're able to type out the information on the web on the Excel sheet, give it to AI, and it can code based on what you want? Or I'm gonna butcher it if I try to break it down, but somehow you can export you can export website code onto an Excel sheet. Um, and there's starting to be things where you can implement AI somehow to manipulate that Excel sheet to to update your your website. Which I'm just like I got lost, but also. He's a little lost too. He's still, he's like, what the heck is happening? But really cool conversation. Um, it, it, it gets you excited, not being scared of it, but, but also trying to harness it, uh, which is cool. Yeah. Well, and that's what he was kind of saying too, um, is, you know, for 99, I have to think 99, 95, at the absolute lowest percent of businesses, AI is early. Like if you're even looking into AI as a, a plumber or whoever, you know, you're going to be early, you know, and whatever that means, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it takes hold. But, you know, for example, like I think about Google calling for you and making appointments, um, you know, and that's where I get back to the, the relationship thing, like the business to, to customer relationships of, you know, if a customer calls and they don't really talk to a human, they talk to an AI, one, are they going to care? Two, are they going to be able to tell? Well, maybe one, are they, they going to be able to tell? Two, are they going to be able to care? Um, you know, but rather than, I mean, I, you know, I just go back to the plumber example. If it's a big enough company, you know, you have somebody answering the phone, making appointments, scheduling things. I mean, is that a job that maybe you wouldn't need, um, you know, because you have this tool that can do a lot of that? Um, you know, lawyers, there's... There's talk and, and it gets, you get into the ethics of AI pretty quick. Um, but you know, AI can put together a pretty standard draft of, um, you know, an NDA or, or a non-compete agreement. I mean, it's not the final thing, but based on inputs and based how good of inputs you can provide, I mean, you can get a pretty good darn, a darn good start. Um, so that'll be fascinating. You know, one thing that he and I agreed on, um, one thing that he said that I agree with probably is a better way to put it <laughs> um, is AI isn't going to take your job, but somebody that understands how to use it and how to harness it and how to, you know, leverage it, grow with it. That's who's going to be, that's who's going to take your job. You know, it's not, it's not a program that's going to take over marketing agencies. It's a marketing agency that's going to be able to expand what they're doing because they can leverage it, keep it unique, keep it a unique product, keep their product unique um, and grow with it and move faster you know, but without sacrificing quality, you know, misspelling, stuff like that, um, they're going to keep it legit. So it'll be interesting. And I, th and, uh, and like he said, I, I think the, the grace in it is it's still early, you know, that doesn't mean be complacent though. I you think you still figure it out, look into it, but it's fascinating. It really is. Yeah. It's hard to, to talk about my life and what I'm up to without running into <laughs> how AI runs into it real fast. So I talk about it quite a bit, but it's hard not to. It's it's here. It's doing its thing. Well, yeah, man, I think about, he talked about, you know, a tool that he was using that, and he probably mentioned it on yours, but um, takes notes during calls. You know, so rather than... AI. 
There you go, man. I'm, I was guessing that he did, but even stuff like that, I mean, that saves you time that can keep you going, um, you know, on other projects. So, yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Actually, that specific that specific topic along with Fireflies AI um, was my most viewed or most impressions on LinkedIn. And it got, uh, I'm looking right now, it got, where's he at? It got 1.6K views on, on YouTube as well. So just kind of cool. Um, it's a very, very enactable tool um, that you can implement into your lives already, which is fun. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. I don't know what number of AI tools there are, but I'm sure right now there's far too many because <laughs> they've been developed too fast. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see which ones stick over time. Um, yeah, I think people are hungry for it. They're hungry for information. They're hungry for the freshest and hottest tool to help them grow their business be big. But I don't want to spend too much time on that stuff because I know that that's what he talked about. And he's the expert. You shouldn't be listening to, to really me or you. <laughs> he's the one that you should be listening to. Yeah, we're we're trying our hardest. We're trying our hardest to reference it, but we don't. We do the average. Maybe the average people can relate to us more because they're like, "Yeah, I don't know what it is either." Yeah, let's go. We have some good tools that we've used, but nothing, nothing to the extent of what he's done. Yeah. Uh, what's what's next for you in the world of life and 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 marketing? Anything personal you're looking into? Just having fun with stuff, or what are you up to? Yeah, man. The thing that I'm most interested in is is learning the uh, the non digital stuff. Um, you know, I think about like working on our house, bought a fixer upper. You know, doing 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 little things that we can manage, getting help where we need it. Um, you know, that's important. But you know, working on cars, I got some bikes that are kind of broken that I want to you know learn how to fix and and work on. Um, I think the best opportunity right now is everybody's so focused and hyped up on the digital. I mean, I think about like, you know, what's 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 wrong with the good old hobbies, you know? <laughs> um, and as far as just saving money too, um, you know, I just think about some of the money saving things that you can do yourself. You know, with a YouTube video, working do uh, on your house, on your vehicles. Um, I mean, some of it's just simple stuff like the. You know, getting a little bit of confidence to even just change your own oil. Um, you don't really save that much money that way. You know, that's kind of, they call it a loss leader product that most places offer that, you know, whether it's a dealership or not, they don't really make it that much more expensive because it gets you in the door. So then when you actually have a bigger problem, um, you know, you go there because you trust them. But what it does is it gives you confidence. You know, so if you can get your own oil done, you know, it might give you confidence to... Um, you know, maybe I'll do, maybe I'll do spark plugs. That's a little bit more intense or, you know, even changing your tire, you know, just so you're not on the side of the road with an issue, you know, and have to rely on somebody else. I think that's another big thing is how can you kind of, I mean, you don't have to go extreme. I mean, some people go way off the deep end, but just being kind of self-sufficient, you know, if something happens, you know, can you take care of it? Can you get it done? Um, so that's what I, that's what I'm kind of fascinated by is, is some of those old, not forgotten skills, but some of that old stuff. You know, Darcy's getting into canning. She did that this weekend. Just some, just some stuff that I think is, you know, with the the digital world and the and the world of today, I think is pretty complex. You know, with with all the stuff going on, all the things that demand your attention. So, what are some of those simple things that we can, 
you know, get back to it and enjoy just a little bit. So not going off the deep end, but I think it's fun. Something different. Yeah. Well, even doing the those type of things, it's very grounding. It it puts you puts you in your place right away and, and puts you content and present with where you're at. Um I'm a terrible terrible at doing a lot of them, but I do try to do some every once in a while, you know. Uh Matt forced me to pot my plants with him. Uh he's like There you go. He's like, no, you're not doing this tomorrow. We're going to do it right now. It'll take 10 minutes. I'm like, you're probably right. Let's do it. I mean, that was fun. Uh, now I notice there's a little leaf budding out of one of my smaller plants, and I'm like, oh, how cool. Um, and and then, of course, I go. I know, and you did that, man. Yeah, yeah. Then, of course, I go. You did that. You did pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just I was just gonna say you did that. You know, nobody else did. You didn't pay somebody to. That was you. You got your hands dirty. You did that. It's a good feeling. Yeah. You saw those. Those things are looking good, man. Some healthy healthy looking plants, man. Oh yeah. But anyways, uh, I think that's an hour twelve minutes. We we killed that, dude. That was sick. But Yeah, man, thanks for thanks for having me. It was fun. I, I think we talked about some good topics, you know, relationships Yeah. on the digital front. You know, what are some things to be looking out for? I think a lot of good topics on this episode. Yeah, no, it's been fun. Appreciate you coming on finally. It's been good. Yeah, Don. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, appreciate you. Take her easy. Yeah, you too, man.